Tonight, we're going to be in Psalms 147. If you have a Bible, let's turn there. Psalms 147, and uh, what an awesome psalm it is. Notice we read in verse 1, uh, Praise the Lord! Exclamation point. For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. And so as we get closer to the end of this uh, amazing book of Psalms, we're going to see that the last five Psalms start with that Hebrew word, hallelujah, and uh, they end with that Hebrew word, hallelujah. So you see it, praise the Lord in the beginning and praise the Lord at the end. And, and what I tried to do is to give you guys kind of an outline of this psalm. It's an amazing psalm. And that's why we're only going to cover this one chapter. And then, Lord willing, and next time we'll finish the book. But this psalm is amazing. And so you look at the outline of it, and we're going to see in, in verse you know, 1, it says, you know, to praise the Lord. And then in verse 2, uh, he, we're saying, well, why should we praise the Lord? Well, because of the nation of Israel. We'll talk about that. Because of salvation. Um, because of creation in verses 4 through 5. Because of the exaltation of the humble and the condemnation of the wicked. And so why we praise the Lord. And then we'll talk about some other questions like where, who, what, and how. And to me, when I was going through the psalm, again, very difficult to outline. But when we get there, you guys are going to see how all these things fall into place. But we see again in verse 1 how we are to praise Him, how we are to sing to Him, how when we do that, it is good, it is pleasant, and it is beautiful. It's beautiful if we praise God. It's beautiful when we sing to Him. And on the flip side of that, it's ugly when we don't. And so, you know, we're going to see that God is worthy. Uh, we praise Him for who He is and, and for what He's done. I was uh, practicing this song today uh, to sing it to you guys, but you'll probably say it's not beautiful, you know, but um, I love that hymn, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy powers throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And when I think of God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And I sang it earlier. I won't sing it to you guys. Maybe one day. But man, when I, I one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite hymns, and, uh, and, and it's just so beautiful when you sing it to him, you know, and, and he's worthy for what he's made and not just the creation, but the new creation, the redemption of how he saved us, right? And that's what this psalm is, is saying. It's saying, man, it's just so beautiful when we praise the Lord, right? And, and then he goes on to say, you know, give me five reasons why we praise the Lord. And number one, notice he says in verse two, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. Other translations say, 
the Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. And so, you know, God builds it. How? By gathering together the outcasts of Israel. And we know that when we look at Jewish history, that the way that God would scatter the Jews, the diaspora, the scattering of the Jews, and it happened many times. But especially like, for example, you guys know that when Solomon died, the kingdom was divided into the northern and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern, southern is Judah. But they're all the Jews. But the northern kingdom never worshipped God. And so in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came and they, and they took them away captive to Assyria. And, and then in 586 B.C., because the southern kingdom didn't learn from them, they were carried away captive to Babylon. And, and they were gone, if you remember, for 70 years from their land. But then God allowed them to return to their land. And so it's an amazing, amazing story that we praise him for the nation of Israel. They are this sign that is so amazing to me, how God would watch over this nation, how he would choose them, how he would give them victory over Egypt, how he would sustain them in the wilderness, how he would give them that promised land. We look at the nation, and then even though God, you know, he, he disciplined them that he brought them back and under Zerubbabel, under Ezra under Nehemiah, 50,000 Jews returned, most of them didn't, but 50,000 did return, right and, and so you look at that, but not just that, I mean what about how uh, after that the Jews were then scattered almost everywhere throughout the world, again the diaspora, the scattering of the Jews but then how, um, after all the atrocities, I think the Jewish population reached maybe close to 17 million, and then 6 million died in the Holocaust. And, and, and it was after that, and things began to happen, and then in 1948, they became a nation again. That's the title uh, of Jesus. But he was anointed to do what? Here we see he was anointed to preach the gospel to bring the good news why because when we, there's that anointing you know and preaching the gospel then what we find is that there is that place where god then heals the brokenhearted and so that's what we're talking about back in in psalms we're, we're talking about praising him for the nation of israel praising him for salvation because notice what happens next. It says in verse uh, 18, He has sent me to heal the, the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. So many that, that need that next step after being saved is being set free. Truly being set free. I think a lot of times Christians are not really free. They're bound by so many things. It could be legalism. It could be asceticism. It could be you're so caught up in thinking only, you know, of yourself and how does it affect you or I feel this way and God is saying, I want to break all those chains. I want to set you completely free to follow me. This is salvation. You know, he talks about sight to the blind. I mean, you know, today I was reading in, in, in the Bible because when you're talking about sight to the blind, you know, you're thinking, well, now I understand the Bible. Now when I read the Bible, I can understand the Bible. True, and that's huge. But, but there's probably more to it than that, you know? I mean, God 
when God really comes in and gets a hold of someone's life and they become this sold out, surrendered, completely committed Christian, they will see things that others don't see. Like when the Syrian army was surrounded protecting him. See, when you get saved, it's not just, okay, well, when I die, I go to heaven. No, we praise him for the salvation that it gives us this freedom. It gives us these things, this sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And when I read that right there, I'm thinking demon, uh, demon battles. You know, we talk a lot about being people being or possessed by demons. And right away, Christians are quick to say, well, a Christian can't be possessed. And it's almost like they downplay it. But you know what? When you, when you start really studying the scriptures, again, I don't really think a, demon, a Christian can be possessed, but I do think a Christian can be oppressed. And you start using different terminology. Some Christians out there like to use the word demonized. So some demon has got a stronghold in your life as a Christian, think about that. I mean, maybe that's what's going on. So it's like, why did Jesus stop there? Well, it's because his first coming was to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, right? But the judgment, it comes later. And I think even in today, as we're looking at the signs of the times that we're living in, you guys, I have a feeling that the, the lion. It's coming real soon. Praise God for the lamb. <laughs> but the lion's coming. And so, you know, when he talks about praising God back in Psalm 147, praising him, you know, it's beautiful to praise him. It's ugly not to. We praise him for the nation. We praise him for salvation. And then we praise him for cre creation. Notice what we read next in verse 4 of Psalm 147. Just, just so amazed by this God, how he counts the number of the stars, he calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. He, he counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. He determines the number of the stars. One translation says he names them all. You know, and you know, how many stars are there? You know, we can speculate. Scientists tell us that there are 100 billion galaxies and there are 100 billion stars on average in every single galaxy. So that means that there are 100 trillion billion stars in our speculation, in our estimation. But God counts them. In his calculation, he knows exactly how many of them are, and we praise him for that. Remember that passage in Isaiah 40, 26? It says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. And so... You know, he not only made them, he maintains them. He knows all their names. Not one of those hundred, you know, trillion, billion stars is missing. That's how great God is. And we don't even know what that means, but he spoke it all into existence by the power of his word. You guys like 
looking up. You guys ever look up at the stars and trip out? I know we don't see that many here, but every once in a while you get out there and you're like, wow. He, he knows every single one of them. And I was thinking about what stars really are. And I don't know why that scene from The Lion King, it came to me. And do you guys remember that scene where they're all lying down in the grass and they're looking up at the stars? And Pumbaa asked that question. Ever wonder what those sparkling dots are up there? And then Timon said, I don't wonder, I know. They're fireflies that got stuck in that big bluish black thing. And Simba had his input. He said that someone had once told him the great kings of the past were up there watching over us, a bunch of uh, royal dead guys, and they laughed, remember? And then finally, uh, uh, Pumbaa said, I always thought there were big balls of gas burning billions of miles away. <laughs> and he was right, huh? That's what they are. You know, they're a star, a luminous ball of gas, hydrogen mostly, helium held together by its own gravity, each one with its brilliance. And depending on how, how hot exactly it is, you know, the sun, which is our closest star, 93 million miles away, it's so hot that its heat reaches uh, planet Earth in eight minutes from such a distance. Seems so big to us, but you guys know there are stars that are so much bigger. I, I was wondering, does anyone here know the name of the largest star? discovered so far and there are probably some of you who do right UY Scooty I don't know UY Scooty it's a hypergiant with a radius of 1700 times larger than our sun and so you don't know the name even of that one star God knows the name of a hundred trillion billion stars he made them all maintains them all and not one is missing and so what the psalmist is saying here is uh, we praise him for that. Great is our Lord. His understanding has no limit. His wisdom is beyond our comprehension. And, you know, these are reasons. The nation, salvation, creation, and then exaltation. Look at uh, verse uh, 6. The Lord lifts up the humble. How he does that, you know. And we've already seen how God gathers together the outcasts and here we see how the Lord lifts up, how he raises up you know, the humble. And, and, and I have a feeling it's not like necessarily those who are like saying, well, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. It's just the Lord, you know, taking this little speck of dirty dust and loving on them. This star-making maintainer God, the one who controls everything about nations and salvation and just it's amazing how he just lifts up the humble and the humble is just the honest sincere person I, I know who I am apart from Christ I'm nothing and how God lifts them up you know a lot of us here if it weren't for us having our Christian teachings We'd probably admire those who are, you know, big and strong and proud and the type A personality. That's the guy that I want on my team. And, you know, that's just, you know, the way the world is, I think. But God, this God is just, I praise him that he would take someone so insignificant and so, you know, filthy and just lowly like me and you. And, and, he, and he lifts us up. He's going to lift us up. Not, not just to life on earth and joy and peace and love and blessings on earth, but he's going to lift us up all the way to heaven. 
we, we praise him. You know, the Bible says that. Surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace to the humble. It says in James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5, Proverbs three thirty four, Psalm 75, 6, and 7. It says, Exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts the other. The, the Lord is the one who does that, right? And so we praise him for the, the nation, salvation, creation, exaltation, and condemnation. Because that's what we see there in verse 6, how he cast the wicked down to the ground. You know, and it's important for us to acknowledge his holiness and his majesty and his justice. You know, you wonder sometimes, these guys are doing these horrendous things to people. What's going to happen to them? They're going to get away with it. They, they die and they're rich or they die and it seems like they got everything they, they wanted. But one day they'll stand before God. And C.H. Spurgeon said this, He reverses the evil order of things. The meek are down and he lifts them up. The wicked are exalted and he hurls them down to the dust. I mean, doesn't it, for those of you who, who love the Lord and you see so many wrongs taking place in the world that we live in, doesn't it give you a little bit of peace, a little bit of comfort to know that one day every wrong will be made right? Either it was there placed on Jesus where he paid the price on the cross or one day they will suffer for it when they stand before God. No one gets away with anything. And we praise him for his perfect justice and holiness you know it's interesting when you look at this because at the end of the day god is he's always trying to reach us you know there might be someone you know listening to this study who's not a christian and you know we try to tell you about heaven and how good it is and you got to go there where pizza's good for you and you you got to go there um where there's this going to be this amazing place and and they just, you know, it doesn't really rattle their cage. It doesn't really speak to them. And so, you know, what you have to tell them is, it's okay, well, if you choose to go your own way, then you're heading for a place called hell, which is a holding ta tank that eventually you will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever because you chose to stand before God on your own righteousness. Because it's interesting what he says right here, that he cast the wicked down to the ground. These are the very words that were spoken to the devil. When God found sin in his life, the Bible says in Isaiah 14, 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. And this is after he weakened the nations. This is after... You know, God does this work and, you know, Satan opposes and then he stands before him and God shares the sentence. And so um, we're going to see later on in the psalm, we really need to fear God. I remember uh, reading in a book about um, this whole thing and about how there was this one prisoner, um, this guy that was sentenced to death and and he was uh, just about to be executed. And uh, before he was executed, uh, I don't know if it was upon his request or somehow uh, or another, there was a pastor that was able to come and talk to him before he was executed. 
And so uh, the the pastor kind of just kinda went through the motions, you know. Yeah, you, you know, you know, Jesus, you have to accept you know, Jesus as your Lord and Savior because this is what heaven is and this is what hell is. And he just kind of did it real quick. Didn't really care. Didn't really, you know, share. Didn't really appeal. Didn't really beg. Didn't really plead. And 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 then the prisoner, because of the lackadaisical attitude and approach of the pastor, he said, you know, if what you were saying is true. I would walk the nation, even if it was covered with broken glass, I would walk it from end to end barefoot, telling everyone about this place called heaven and this place called hell. Why? Because it's real. And we know that. Is our life, is that our life? You know, like we've been talking about how we have to find our place in the body and, and, and do it faithfully. But man, I pray that we would have this heavy burden for the lost. Because even as today, we're doing everything we can to make sure that people don't die physically. We should be doing everything we can to do our part so that people would not die eternally. Why? Because there is this condemnation. See, we fear him, we praise him, all the saved and set free do, we praise him. And he gives these reasons why. Notice again there in verse uh, 7, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God, who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens their cry. So for us who, who see, it's not just the pardoned people, it's the new creation, it's all creation, how it reveals the glory of God. And it's interesting how he says right there uh, to sing praises on the harp. And so there are some churches out there that say you have to do it a cappella. You can't use instruments. And here we have another one of those examples of an instrument uh, encouraged, uh, kind of like a piano or a guitar. Praise God for that. And another uh, view of it is just being able to sing praises on the harp. I mean, have you ever done music like maybe you can't sing, but you're just playing it for God? Not just with our, our, our lips, but on that Instrument. It's kind of cool when you think of it that way. But here we see where the heavens, the earth, the mountains, even the little nest where that little bird is. And, you know, today we got blessed with some uh, rain. You know, the clouds came and watered the earth. And then it's just amazing when you think of that and how God will then, you know, do with that rain. Um, they, I know it's not April yet, but you guys remember that saying, April showers bring may flowers you know how it brings up the the grass and the vegetation and the fruit and all from god's irrigation i mean we praise him for that and how he feeds the it says right here the beasts some say that's domesticated others say it's wild they'll use the cattle though god feeds the animals right and and even the young raven god feeds them and that's amazing to me you know i was at the other day at in and out and i was uh, having lunch with my daughter and I was that close to giving one of those birds my french fry, but I didn't. I'm like, no, 
And you know, you justify it. You're like, well, then if I start feeding it, he's going to come closer to me or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, God, he feeds even the ravens. And this is interesting because the ravens were the most contemptible of birds to the Jews. They were unclean, forbidden food. They were considered to be greedy scavengers. And not only do men not like them, but even their mothers abandoned them. The moment that little young raven can fly, then immediately the mom's gone. And so this is interesting how it says that God even feeds them. And we praise him for that, right? In, in verse 10 and 11, we see after the where, then the who, how he does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. And, and there's a lot of application here. You know, I mean, we're talking about, hopefully, you guys, we praise him. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy powers throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul. You know, and we're singing how great he is. Hopefully we sing to him. Hopefully we fear him. We reverence him. We, we fear God. Hopefully we have hope in him. You know, maybe you're here today and you don't have that, that hope. You know, you're looking at your future and it just seems so dismal, dark, and you almost want to give up. And, and this psalm hopefully is an encouragement to you that the God of the universe is on your side. I pray that you would hope in him. You know, as we hone in on this uh, uh, passage right here, we see that God now shares with us two things, how we are to fear and hope in him. And basically what they do is they constitute spiritual strength. I like what Spurgeon said again. He said, marks of new birth are fear and hope. They fear for they are sinners. They hope for God is merciful. They fear him for he is great. They hope in him, for he is good. Their fear sobers their hope, and their hope brightens their fear. God takes pleasure in them, both in their trembling and in their rejoicing. And it's really a good balance here. Next we see the what in verse 12 through 14. It says, Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He makes peace in your borders and fills you with the finest wheat. I think, I don't know, you know, we don't know dogmatically, but I have a hunch in verse 10 and 11, he's talking about a time of war. You know, because in a time of war, we're thinking, ah, oh, the horse or the soldier's legs. And God says, no, you, the, the war is won by God working through people who fear him and hope in him. But then when you look at this next section, I just, I, I, to me, it's almost like your, your city. It's your family. And notice what God does when, when you hone in on these words there in, in verse uh, 13, for he has strengthened the bars of your gates. That, that's the protection, huh? Now he strengthens you. How he, he has blessed your children within you. He strengthens us. He blesses us. How he gives peace. 
there in that city and within those borders and how he fills our hearts. He fills us with the finest weeds. That's how good God is. You know, the, the, how does God do all these things? Notice what we read next. In verse 15, he sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out his hail like morsels. Who can stand before his coal? He sends out his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Really, when you look at this last section, again, a lot here, a lot to learn. But I think one of the things that God wants us to walk away with is how he does all these things. And he does it by the power of his word. That's what we see here. You know, all our creator has to do is command it. In his sovereignty, he just speaks it. For God to work, all it takes is his word. And when he speaks, it snows like wool. It's so white. And the frost for the snow and the hail from heaven. Job 37.10 says, For the, by the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen. You know, he makes the winter and he melts the winter. And don't forget how he moves the wind, which makes the waves. And not just the waves, but involved in the wars. Think about that for a second. In your life, all that, that might be holding that back, whatever is getting in the way, whatever God wants next for your life, all it takes is a word from God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that's all it takes is a word? Maybe you have an unsaved loved one and all God needs to speak from the throne is live to them and they'll live. And I think what happens is when you understand this about God, when you have that, that understanding, you know, Lord, you don't have to go to my house. All you have to do is speak it. All you got to do is say it. And, and the creator of the universe, there incarnate in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, he says, wow, such faith. All these things. You guys, we're in, we're in the game. We're, we're in it, man. We're in the war. We're here. God wants to use our life, but we got to believe. And we're talking about his word, and yes, his written word that was given to Israel. So important. But, but remember, it's inspired by God. It's theonuptos. It's God breathed. And all he has to do is speak it. Whatever the impossible situation is in your life, all he has to do is speak it. And so as you're having a conversation with God and, and you're praying, and you know how conversations go, you speak and then they speak, and you speak and then they speak. And you're speaking with God and you're praying and you're believing. And all he has to do, all it is is a word away. And I think that's what he's saying right here. I mean, here we're talking about the very winds are in his hand. You know, I was reading a story about how Spain attempted to evade England in 1588, and the first step of their plan was the defeat of the English Navy at sea. And so they sent 130 ships against England's 90 ships, 
Yet at a critical point of the long battle, a strong wind that turned the Spanish Armada away and more than half their fleet was lost. The English victory was complete and the Spanish defeat was total. And the English celebrated their deliverance by minting a new issue of coins which bore the Latin inscription, Afavit Deus, God Blue, taken from Psalm 147, 18. You know what's interesting? is My son was just telling me about this. He was telling me about how Spain had conquered certain places and how if they would have conquered England, we may not have, have, have the Christian background that we have because Spain was Catholic. And we were just talking about this. And then I read this because, you know, Spain had the big boats. England had the little boats. But God blew. And that's what he'll do for us. You know, here we see it's his word. And not just the general revelation, but the special revelation. You know, and how he declares his word to Jacob, it says in verse 19. Thank God for the Bible and you read Romans 3 1 and 2 and Deuteronomy 4 7 and the psalmist here he, he just rejoices over God and what happens you know right there it says that his word runs very swiftly there in verse 15 and I like what Spurgeon said he said if God's word runs very swiftly then it can even overtake those who run away from it <laughs> Not only can the Lord come quickly to those who seek him, but he can overtake those who hasten away from him. And you might be here today and thinking, yeah, that's for my, my, my lost friend, my unsaved loved one. You want to know something? It might be for you. Because even as Christians, I think sometimes we run from the fullness of what God has for us. And what does he do? He chases us down with his word. But we have to listen. And we have to be open. And then when God does that work, that last word there, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here and you've been distancing yourself from God in any way, my prayer is that you would draw near says in James 4 that if we draw near to him then he will draw 